35 years ago this year, uh, and some skinny guy from Ward 9 started talking to me in my uh, first period PE class at West Monroe High School, and it was Jason Robertson. We begin, began a friendship that little did I know that uh, about three years later we would share a bunk together right beside each other at Camp Chioka, and on that Thursday night of that high school session, he would baptize me into Christ. Amen. And uh, we've been friends uh, since. Uh, his son Cole and my son Nathan have been friends since diapers. And uh, graduating together and doing a lot of things together. And uh, uh, went to school to preaching together. Kept each other awake during some of those long afternoons. And... Uh, and so it's a, it is a privilege, you know, whenever your two main speakers are out, uh, to have such talent to be able to come and uh, uh, to share with us today. And Jace was willing to do that, and we do appreciate that. And I appreciate his friendship and his dedication to the gospel for so many years. Even even we were a couple of punk teenagers uh, with that. Well, I was the punk. He was the good guy. <laughs> sure. I'm going to pray for him. Father, I thank you for, uh, wow, so many years of of uh, friendship, and, uh, and I appreciate his wisdom and his, his uh, boldness and uh, willingness to share with me uh, uh, an, an angry uh, teenage young man and um, uh, to be able to share the gospel and, uh, and your love and your peace. Thank you for uh, him and his family and what they've done for, for our church and, and what they've done for my family in, in the, uh, throughout the years. And, Father, I ask you to be with him in a special way as he shares your word with us. It's through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. I'll add that to another memory of special moments. This is a special place to me. You know, I've been here off and on, mainly on, for 40 years. And uh, I believe this is the first time I've ever actually preached on the first service, Sunday morning. So, just goes to show you, if you endeavor to persevere, all things are possible. <laughs> Once in a lifetime, huh? You know, there's a lot out at the marriage retreat. We're going to have our own marriage retreat this morning. Of all the things, of all the analogies that God could use... To compare what we are in the world, he uses that we're the bride of Christ. You know, when you read the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, he says, live a life of love. And he starts going through all the things we know of. Don't be greedy. Let there not be a hint of sexual immorality. He gets on further down. He says, live as children of light. Come out of the darkness. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but sing. Make music in your heart. And he gets into relationships and he starts talking about the roles of husband and wives. And in chapter 5 and verse 32, he says, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. We're married to Jesus. He goes on to say in chapter 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
This is a special place to me because there was a couple of fellas that got a call at this church years ago. And they said, we got a, one of the sweetest women you'll ever meet. She's married to uh, one of the worst people you'll ever run across. And they're separated. She don't have a place to stay. She's got three little kids. And so they moved on it. They helped her with a little money. Got her a place to stay. Got her a job. And then, in a bold move, they actually got into a vehicle and drove to a bar where the good-for-nothing husband was and shared Jesus with him. So... Most of you know that story. That was my parents. And I'm thankful that when they got the call and the question was, will you help them if you can? They said, yeah. Which, as it turned out, it's probably a pretty good investment as far as the money they gave her. They trained them to become... TV stars. <laughs> it's letting you do the math in your head there. And you know, the thing about my dad is I got to see Jesus Christ transform a human being in real life. And my mom, as sweet as she was, she was outside of Christ until then. So I'm thankful. I met my wife here. I remember being right over there. Heart was pumping. Fixed to say I do. I stuck my head out. I looked back there and I was just amazed that she was still there. (laughs) She's actually going to do this. And that's why I compared it to what we have in Christ. God takes us, he cleans us up, he presents us to the world. I was a skeptic. I had doubts. I don't know if it was just the way I was wired. But when I was young, I thought, well, I don't want to just go to church, go to the same church as my parents go. I mean... There's thousands of churches. How do we know which one is right? I don't know who was putting those thoughts in my head. But that's what I thought. I jotted down some of the reasons. I think that there's a church every, around here, pretty much every quarter mile. There's a church building. You know, we're flawed people. There's no perfect church. Now, Jesus makes us perfect, but we're flawed. We have trouble getting along. I believe that's one reason that we break out into different camps. We disagree on secondary issues. You know, I've been all over the world at pretty much every uh, church imaginable, according to the sign. But what I've noticed is uh, we've got a lot more in common than I thought. 
But we disagree on secondary issues, and so we break up into camps. We have different personalities as people, different talents, and you tend to gravitate toward where you fit in and you feel comfortable. We have traditions, habits. It's the way people are. You may go to another church and they're doing something that you don't do and you start feeling uncomfortable. We have culture differences. You know, all over the world, there's been people that try to assimilate what we do here in different countries. And, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work. What I'm here today to discuss with you is that what we don't want to do. Here's what we don't want to do as a church. Because remember, the church is the bride of Christ. We represent him. We point people to Jesus. What we don't want to do is become private instead of public. And you say, what do you mean? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, I want to read this to you. 2 Corinthians 3 Verse 17 and 18. And before I read it, another difference that you'll see in churches is how we study the Bible. Now, I was taught at a younger age. When you read this, you find the commands, you find the examples and you find the inferences and you pretty much get those straight and follow them to the letter. And you'll be all right. Well, that's great for the Old Testament. Where there was a law. That makes sense. But you know, when Jesus came, he introduced something special about God, and it was the relational aspect of God Almighty. That he's our father, we're sons and daughters, Jesus is our Lord, we're his disciples, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when you think of yourselves as the bride of Christ and people see you and they say, what's going on? You say, well, I don't have it all figured out. I'm flawed. The people here are flawed. There are no perfect people in and of themselves. But we found someone who is perfect, who's a shining light. Second Corinthians three, verse 17. We'll start in 16. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away out from under this system of law and works. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. With ever increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord. So we're following Jesus. To freedom. What we want to do. As a group of people. Is we don't want to. Revolve our lives around what happens. Here. In our performance. Because we're going to have trouble getting along. We want to take Jesus. Out there. Now that's more difficult. We want to be a group of people that believe that all things are possible. You remember the story in Mark chapter 9? 
You can turn there in verse 20. I'll give you the, the short version. There was a fellow had a son who had a demon. And it was throwing this kid to the ground and he was going through convulsions and he had heard about Jesus. So he brings him to Jesus. In verse 20 of Mark 9, they brought him when the spirit saw Jesus. It immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this from childhood? He answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It reminds me of, of our churches, you know, we're this close to Jesus. We hear about Jesus. But when we think about doing daring things out there, sometimes we, we put that word if. If he can. Instead of everything is possible for him who believes. Following Jesus is never private. Never. Matthew five fourteen through 16. A city on a hill. What? Can't be hidden. You don't take a light and put a bowl over it. You let your light shine before men. Jesus is the light switch. John 17, 3. Jesus in his prayer, which he later on prayed that we could have unity. But in 17, 3, he says, now this is eternal life. This is eternal life. This is an edge of your seat moment. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In John chapter 6, he gave the definition of the work of God. Did anybody remember what it, what it is? What is the definition of the work of God? To believe in the one he sent. He's the light switch. So you say, I have doubts. You know, doubts are not necessarily a bad thing. You say, what? It depends on what you're doubting. If you consider the positives of choices that are ungodly, it's probably a good thing to doubt those. I mean, we do that in our world. Doubts cause us to search, to look. Some of our colleges even have courses. One of them I noticed in Columbia, at Columbia University, Ivy League school, they have a course called Ignorance. Look it up. And they celebrate what we don't know. It made me think I wish I could 
have a classroom right across from it that said, not knowing Jesus is dumb. <laughs> you know, the Jesus' followers, they were unschooled, ordinary men. What made them the smartest guys on the planet is that they knew Jesus. You find a way to receive forgiveness and you find a way to live forever. Oh, that makes you smart. And I go all over the country and I'll use this power of doubt in my favor. I'm an outdoorsman. I look at things in creation to point people to the creator. Hebrews 3, 4 is the idea behind that. Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. What's the point? Just because we didn't see your house being built, we know someone built it. Because it has a design. I had a conversation with a fellow. It wasn't what came first, the chicken or the egg. That's probably what they're doing at Columbia. They're discussing that because they don't know. But I had a discussion on what came first, the chicken or the human. Because I said, so how long ago was the chicken formed? And he said, well, about 250 million years ago. I said, okay. Well, when was the human formed? Because this guy doesn't believe in God. He said, well, the human was formed five to seven million years ago, give or take a couple million years. I said, well, who took care of the chicken during that span? It just seems like to me, if a chicken was here that long, as good as, as a chicken is, extinction would have happened. And he said, well, you know, chickens are tougher than you think. I said, well, wait a minute. Are you actually going to defend the toughness of a chicken? The dinosaurs didn't make it, but the chicken did. (laughs) Whatever process that allowed that to happen, I would doubt that. You say, where did you read that from? It was just common sense. One day I was looking at a chicken and thought, how did he make it? incredible the one I've been on lately is the armadillo nine banded armadillo I shared this Wednesday and I just saw smoke rising from people's heads so I thought I'd give you the quick version this morning There's 21 different species of armadillos on the planet the one we have here in North America is the nine banded variety When you consider the chances of a human having identical quadruplets, four babies that are identical, it's one in about 13 million. So it does happen. What's fascinating is in the armadillo world of the nine-banded variety, they have identical quadruplets every time. Either four boys or four girls. That just seems really random and really impossible. If we came from seaweed or a spark or a collision somewhere, 
and you start trying to factor in how that happened when the other 20 varieties of armadillos, that doesn't happen. It just seems like something you need to doubt as far as randomly happening. And as cool as that is, you know what? It doesn't change people's lives. I use it to get people's attention. Because Hebrews 3, 6, two verses later, every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Two verses later, listen to this, Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. We're God's house. We house Jesus. Colossians 1.27. So you want to know the mystery of godliness? It's that Christ is in you. He's the light switch. That's the only thing that's going to change someone's heart. That's it. Now where does that happen? In here? I guess it does sometimes. But it happens out there. That's where it's supposed to happen. You know, after he gave that analogy in Ephesians 5 of marriage, and he says where our struggle is, it's against the spiritual forces of evil. He then says, put on the armor of God. Why would we put on the full armor of God in here? It's comfortable here. There's a policeman every probably 50 yards back there scattered out. Why do we put on the full armor of God? I'm going to go out there. You cannot hide the light switch. So, I'll tell you a quick story. I'm going to Nashville a couple weeks ago. Riding along and I noticed somebody has pulled up beside me. I'm seeing movement. It happens because I have a camouflage truck. People saw it on TV. They think there's one of the duck dudes. So it's a problem. And I looked over there, and there's an African-American family. I could tell it was dad, mom, and two kids in the back, and they're just a-waving. Now, that is kind of unusual. You know, I was in Arkansas, and I see this, and they're, like, going crazy. So I kind of wave, you know. Keep going. And then I got to thinking about it and I realized it's Sunday morning. It was about 1130 and I thought, they're, they just got out of church. And they saw me and they're excited. And so we keep going down the road for miles. We come up on a red light and I was trying to, you know, put this in my mind, put the pieces together. And it just so happened that we pulled up beside each other. And I thought, let me, let me test my theory. So I rolled down the window. They rolled down their window. And I said, where are y'all from? And they said, Little Rock. I said, cool. I said, I got a question. They were just literally on the edge of their seat. I said, do y'all love Jesus? And when I said that, the man driving who now, once he responded this way, he went, Hallelujah! I thought, this guy's a preacher. 
the wife started singing. And the two kids just started clapping. And he said, I told you, I told you they love Jesus. Well, the, as excited as they got, the more excited I got. I was like, Amen. We're going to heaven together. He was like, Amen. And then I look up and I realize the light has turned green, but we're not moving. We're having a moment. I look behind us and people are dumbfounded. They start blowing on the horn. And we're like, Woohoo! I thought about Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Where else in the world? Where else in the world? Could you bring people together? Could you become colorblind? Could you demolish stereotypes for what we have in Jesus? No classes of people. There's no colors of people. We all gather at the foot of the cross and the hope that we have in the resurrection through faith. So you come here this morning and you say, I have doubts. I've been on a many a couch. I've been in various prisons volunteering. <laughs> a message. Halfway houses. And it usually starts off with, well, I had these doubts. Marriage seminars, broken marriages, you have a conversation, had these doubts. So I thought we'd do a faith test this morning. First Thessalonians 4, you're familiar with this, 13 through 18. Basically what we believe, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And we believe that he'll bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. At the last day, the last trumpet, when you hear the trumpet call of God, which is pretty surprising that God has his own trumpet. You read it. Jesus comes back. The dead are raised. We meet together those that are alive. They're just changed on the spot. We meet Jesus in the air. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4 says. It's exciting stuff. We'll hear the voice of God. We'll get to fly. We get to live forever. We'll see our Lord face to face. And then an interesting thing happens in First Thessalonians 4 after that. He says, about times and dates, we do not need to remind you. And he gets to chapter 5 and verse 4. He says, but this day should not surprise you. There's the faith test. You say, I have doubts. What are you doubting? Who are you doubting? Would that surprise you? Now, it's getting real now. Because this is what we believe. This is what we share. This is where we get this boldness and this confidence. We look around out in this world and we realize there's a war going on between good and evil. We have Jesus. We have the light switch. We don't want to become comfortable in here 
and make Jesus private when all things are possible once he's introduced out there with our armor. That gets people's attention. Just trust me, when you start talking about people viewing their death, they perk up. You know why? They're going to die. You say, oh yeah, but they're working out. They're eating healthy. They'll die healthy. So would it surprise you? Where does this doubt come from? I know the origin. Genesis 3, 1. God made humans. A couple days after the chickens. It's true. Look it up. Chapter 1 through 3. There it is. <laughs> Everything's going along fine. And then there's a statement in Genesis 3, 1. From the spiritual forces of evil. It says, did God really say? Did God really say? And you have your first introduction to doubt. Did God really say? And then in verse 4 you have your first lie. He says, you won't die. Lie! Which goes back to serving and worship created things rather than the Creator. Isn't that what Romans 1 says? It's a lie. When you put created things above the Creator and act like He's not there. Because here's the thing with doubt. He said, I have doubts. Those of you who do not believe, who are not sure that there's a God, you're just as sure by your lifestyle that there's not a God. You say, prove it. I don't have to. You prove it every day by the way you live. Where you go, what you do, how you dress, words coming out of your mouth. If we followed you around out there, it would become pretty clear whether you were sure that there is a God or there's not. That's just the facts. It's just the facts. That's why I keep pointing out there. I keep pointing out there. That's who needs this. We're resting in here. You just think about a marriage. Would a marriage work if you only came together a couple of hours out of a week? It just wouldn't work. That's just not how it goes. That's why he compared it to the greatest relationship, the most special that he could think of. Marriage. So, what are you doubting? You doubting Jesus is coming back? I'm going to give you, these are going to be the cliff notes of these three stories. I think this will encourage you. John chapter 4. Because we want to take Jesus public. Watch these. Watch this story. John 4. The woman at the well. He says, look, I'll give you living water. They start a conversation. She's not broken. You get to chapter 4 and verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So that I won't get thirsty. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come back. She's like, I have no husband. 
Remember this? Jesus said to her, oh, you're right. And he says, you've had five of them and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Boy, it got real, didn't it? Here's what I know. When Jesus brought up her private life, what did she do? She began a religious discussion about where different cultures worship. You ever notice that? She said, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. I kind of think that's sarcastic. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She, she brought up where we're worshiping. She missed a valuable point. It's not where and how. John 17, 3. It's who. Jesus declared, believe me, woman. And we know this passage is famous. You won't worship either here nor there. But the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. What is the inference of that? You'll worship everywhere. You got the spirit of God Almighty in you. And you got the truth who is Jesus. Oh, we're going to worship everywhere. Maybe on the interstate heading to Nashville with a group of people I never met before. The lie came in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain, explain everything to us. He's standing right in front of you. What's missed here is that she was so embarrassed by the way she had been living and had justified it by saying one day Jesus will come and explain this. She was looking for an explanation and not a transformation of her life. And that's why we have doubts about God. We doubt God when it means we've got to change our lifestyle. That's what this is all about. What is the lesson here? People don't want to recognize or acknowledge Jesus in public because their private life is full of sin. Things they don't want to change. She got it right, thanks to Jesus. Let me give you another one. Thomas. You know, we don't name our kids doubt. Faith? Yeah. Doubt? No. Here's a man who is forever nicknamed Doubting Thomas. And we see the signs of it in John 14. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place. He's talking about heaven. And guess who says in verse 5, but how do we know the way? We don't know the way you're going. And then Jesus' response, famous response, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In between the lines. How did you miss this? And you get to chapter 20 and verse 25 and 26, and guess what? Jesus is raised from the dead. This is it. There's a way to live forever. And what does Thomas say? Nope, don't believe it. Didn't happen. 
I'm going to have to see the scars. A week later, Jesus came in, though the doors were locked. And what do you know? Then he believes. Now, the woman at the well was an acquaintance. This was a follower. He followed Jesus for three years and still missed it. You say, what's our problem with churches today? We get so hung up on trying to figure out the map. We forget the man, the Son of God. The mystery of godliness is that Jesus Christ, the light switch of the world, is in us. He's in us. We need to go out there. The light can't be hidden. Let's make them uncomfortable. Instead of you being uncomfortable here on how somebody worships or where they worship. Or what flawed people do and say. We all make mistakes. When you become private, like a country club, it's all based on your performance. How you figure this out. I've changed my views over more things in this Bible in the last 40 years imaginable. But my view on the big stuff, being a son of God, made in the image of God, protecting the innocent, life is precious, Jesus is real, He was flawless, He died on a cross, come back from the dead. The Holy Spirit is the power source that hadn't changed. The last example is Nicodemus, John chapter 3. He comes to Jesus at night. Where's the lie in that? He's a religious leader. We have an acquaintance, we have a follower, now we have a religious leader. And he says, you know, we know you're from God because no one could do the miracles. Why is he coming at night? Why is he coming at night? What about this? He wanted the benefits of Christ privately without being seen in public with Jesus. We want the benefits. We want the good things. But he didn't want to be recognized as being with Jesus in public. And what did Jesus tell him? What did he tell him? I love this. Here's a religious leader. He comes up. Yeah, let's talk about how we're doing these miracles. And Jesus said, you need to be born again or you can't even see the kingdom. You need to start over. And through that conversation came the most famous passage in the Bible. It was a conversation with a religious leader at night. He said, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't that something? We use that all over the world out there, and it was in the context of a guy three feet from Jesus having a conversation. Here's the point. Don't get this close and miss it. Don't get this close and miss it. 
You say, well, that could never happen. I just gave you three examples. An acquaintance, a follower, and a leader. They missed the purpose. They missed the relationship. So, I'm going to give you an opportunity today to go public, but on one condition. If you come down here and declare Jesus as Lord, you can reenact his death, burial, and resurrection in water, you can be born again. Or you can just say, you know what, I've had doubts. Those days are over. On one condition, if you come down here and make it public, take it out there. Because that's where God uses us. If you have a need, come while we stand and sing.